Our text has been here in John 10, verse 10. John 10, 10. It says, uh, uh, in verse 10, it says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, you could take time and go into a lot of detail about that. First of all, we said, and I'll review just a little bit for the benefit of those that have not been with us previously this week. Uh, the thief cometh. He cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. That's the, when he comes, that's, that's what he comes for. But he, he does come. Amen. We're not to try to pretend that the devil's dead and that, you know, if you live by faith, you'll never have any problems or tests or trials. Well, no, the devil's around. He comes. And he comes to steal, and he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. But I'm, I'm glad about the scripture that said we have an adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion. He's going about seeking whom he may, may devour. That lets us know there's some he may devour, and there's some he may not devour. Amen. Amen. And it's up to you which category you're in. I've made up my mind I'm in the may not Amen. category. Amen. It's a decision you have to make, and you have to resist him when he comes. And the Bible said if you resist him, he'll flee from you. Resist is the opposite of yielding to. If you yield to him, you're going to have problems. If you resist him, then you'll have victory. And uh, so the enemy comes. And you could also talk about this, that if it, if it has to do with stealing, and it has to do with killing, and it has to do with destroying, well, who does it? The enemy. You say, not the Lord. The Lord's not a destroyer. The Lord is not the killer. The Lord is not the thief. Amen. He's not. Contrary to what some folk try to say and try to portray, well, God took this and God did this and God destroyed this. Well, no. The Bible's very clear. The enemy is the destroyer. Can you say amen? amen. But I'm excited about this next part. He says, I am come. Yeah, the thief cometh. Somebody else came. I am come. Jesus is talking here. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Everybody read that last phrase with me out loud. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Read it again. Think about it. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. One more time. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Praise God. Why did Jesus come? That we might have life and he's qualified it and that we might have it more abundantly. The abundant life. Amen. We said that some folk have uh, said, well, you know, Jesus came to show us a better way to live. Jesus came to give us a higher philosophy of life. Jesus came to set a higher moral standard, what have you. And certainly those things are true uh, in a measure, but that's not all he came for. That's, that's not the, the biggest reason he came. Biggest reason he came is because we were dead. Amen. And he came so that we could live and not just exist, but have the abundant life. Amen. And you know, we, we, we've been talking about this all week, but the more I talk about it, the more we share about it, the more I realize that so many, so many times people, uh, 
the enemy has influenced people so that they don't believe that God wants us to have the abundant life through little subtle things here and there. So many different areas have been, uh, uh, you know, infiltrated by the enemy's lies and deception and, and, and wrong thinking uh, until so, in so many areas, Christians even, they, they're thinking wrong. They're thinking that God wants them to, to, to live a meager existence, to rake by, scrape by in different areas, spiritually, mentally, socially, physically, financially. But Jesus came that we might live the abundant life. Amen. That's why he came. He said so. Amen. Uh, we, we said also in, in, in doing a little bit more review that this word more abundant, you know, in the King James, uh, it comes from the Greek. And first of all, the word abundant just simply means more than enough. Well, what is, how much is enough? Well, that's sufficient, right? Adequate. We're, we're, we're making. We don't have anything left over, but, but we, you know, we got enough. Well, how much is more than enough? Well, you're making it plus. You got some left over. Isn't that right? But, but even to say more than, to, to say abundant, really, to say abundant, or to say more than enough, is not really uh, sufficiently describing what the Greek literally says here. The Greek word that here is translated uh, more abundantly literally means superabundance. Superabundance. Amen. Superabundance. It means uh, superabundant in quantity and superior in quality. Amen. Now, now, superabundant what? Life. Superabundant life. Superabundance of life in quantity and superabundance of life in quality. Superior quality. We talked about that when the, uh, when, when the Bible talks so many times about life, it, it uses the word eternal life. Eternal life. And he, among other things he says here in John, he says this is eternal life, that they might know the Father. Amen? They might know God. You see, that's, that's eternal life, is being in union and in harmony with God. The reason that the first man and woman died spiritually is because their sin separated them from God, who is life. And when you're out of union with life, what happens? You die. And so, when people have sinned and, and separated themselves from God, they're spiritually dead. Not non-existent spiritually, but spiritually dead because they're cut off from life. But because of what Jesus has done, we've been reconciled unto God. We've come back into relationship and fellowship with God. And because we fellowship with Him, we have life. Amen. Don't you remember he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. See, where's the life at? It's in the vine. If we stay hooked up with him, we have life. And we'll, we'll allow that abundant life to flow through us as we stay hooked up with him and don't let anything come between us and him and hinder or restrict the supply of the abundant God kind of life from him to us. Abundant life. It's not just living or existing forever. If that's all it is, the sinner's got it too. Because the Bible talks about them existing eternally, just in another place. But no, it's also quality of life. Superior quality of life. The God kind of life is life as God has it. 
What kind of life or existence does God have? <laughs> he, he has a life of peace. He has a life of joy. He has a life of love. He has a life of abundance. Amen? And that's why Jesus came so we could experience this life. Amen. Not just exist forever, that's part of it, but exist enjoying the God quality of life. What kind of life is that? It's not a meager existence, it's a super abundant life. Amen. And see, that's to affect every part of our being. Not just when we get to heaven sometime, but the Bible said, now we're the sons of God. We know we have passed from death unto life. We're already in life. Amen. And Romans says we're to rule and reign in life by one Christ Jesus. More than conquerors. Not to be under the oppression of, of natural life, but to be living and reigning victorious in the God kind of life. Amen. Our life's supposed to be different from sinners. Different from unregenerate people that don't know God. They're existing, but we're supposed to be living. Amen. Listen to the amplified translation of this verse. He said, I came that they might have and enjoy life. I like that, don't you? And have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Amen. How many of God wants us to have and enjoy life? And he wants it to overflow out of us so that it affects other people around about us. That the life of God overflows and spills out of our life and splashes onto other people all around us. Amen. The abundant life. The super abundant life. That's why Jesus came. That's what he wants us to experience. Life in him, the true Christian life, is a victorious, super abundant life. It affects every area. I mean, you can get more insight into verses like 3 John 2, where he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. I mean, that's the abundant life, isn't it? Your soul is prospering. Your inward man is prospering. You have full, unhindered fellowship with God. Nothing between you and the Lord. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And then it talks about that you would be in health. Well, that's... A physical prosperity. That's physical abundant life, isn't it? Uh, is the abundant life supposed to affect our body? It most certainly is. Then he says then that you might prosper. He's talking about material and financially. The abundant life includes material and financial things. Amen. Now, no, I didn't say it, and the Bible doesn't teach that it's God's will necessarily for every one of us to be multi-billionaires. You understand? Prosperity is a relative term. But what we do know is that it is God's will for us to have plenty, abundance, for everything we need to do to live and follow and obey Him. Abundance. I like the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 9, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That's prosperity. Amen. It's not that prosperity is not necessarily a dollar amount. It depends on what you need. Amen. Prosperity to one person might be different from prosperity to another person. It depends on what you need, what God's called you to do, and what it takes for you to live the abundant life. Amen. But you see, so many folk, even so many Christians, 
are not enjoying the abundant life in different areas. Spiritually, they're not enjoying the abundant life. They go to church. They pray once in a while. They read a few scriptures here and there. But, but their soul is so dissatisfied. Physically, so many times people are not living the abundant life. I mean, they're living. They're breathing. They're making it. But they're, they're not living the abundant life. Abundant means more than, more than enough. The superabundant, I mean. Abundance is more than enough. Superabundance is more than, more than enough. But if you're just making it, that's not superabundant life. Well, I'm making it. I mean, I got five things wrong with me and I hurt a lot and I got this and I got that, but I, I'm making it. That's not the superabundant life. Financially. You know, so many Christians raking and scraping and just making it from here to there and getting under the wire here and scraping by on this and scraping by on that. But is that the superabundant life? Now, whether that's where I'm at or that where that's you, where you're at doesn't make that much difference. I'm not asking you what you're experiencing. I'm asking why did Jesus come? That we might have the superabundant life. And is raking and scraping by and making it some way, somehow, is that the superabundant life? No, thank God, it sure beats going down the tubes. Hey, I mean, hang on, make it some way. But is that the superabundant life? No, it's not. It's not. And the truth be told, so many Christians live so far below what's available to them. They don't live the superabundant life. They don't, they're saved, they love the Lord, but they, they live on such a low level compared to what God has made available to us. Notice he said, I came that they might have. In other words, he didn't say, I, 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 when I come and I do it, they're going to automatically enjoy all of it. He didn't say that. I came that they might have it. He came, he's provided it, it's available, and we can have it. That's the first step. Amen. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're experiencing, you may be experiencing anything but the abundant life in different areas of your life, but don't let that bother you. Lift up your eyes and let God give you a vision of himself as El Shaddai. The God who is mighty to nourish and satisfy and supply. The God who is more than enough. Not just enough, more than enough. The God of super abundant life. Amen. Now, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but there's a lot of people who don't believe what I've just been sharing with you the last few minutes. A lot of Christians, they're charismatics, word and faith folks, so-called. They don't really believe what I've been sharing with you. And even some folks that believe it in theory, when you actually get down to the details of it, and the particulars in day-to-day -day living, they don't, you know. So many folk would rather water down the word to fit their lack of experience then they had to humble themselves and admit that my life is not here and go about seeking God to see if I need to change anything or make any adjustments so that God can elevate my life to what the Bible talks about. Don't ever water the word down to match your experience or lack of experience. Believe God to elevate your experience to match the Bible. Amen. Amen. Whether it has to do with speaking in tongues, whether it has to do with the gifts of the Spirit, whether it has to do with being led by the Holy Ghost, with being spiritual, putting your flesh under, having abundance, being healed, being victorious in every situation, whatever the case might be.
Just because you've experienced some failures and some mishaps and, and what have you does not prove the will of God. The Word reveals the will of God. There are all kinds of things happening that's not God's will, you understand, in Christians' lives. And it's not God's fault either. And so we've, we've been talking about that, that God wants us to have the abundant life, the super abundant life. But we began talking on yesterday about reasons why so many times people are not enjoying the abundant life. What we can do about it and what we can do to, to make the change. How many know that God's never at fault? God's never to blame for our lack of success or victory. He's never wrong. He's never the one that needs to change. So if things are not going right, where does it come back to? Us. Us. And so many times, it's, you know, a lot of times it's not such, so much a matter that we're just blatantly sinning per se. A lot of times it's just a matter that folk are ignorant. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, you know, sometimes people say, well, if you're in trouble, then it means that you're sinning. Well, not necessarily. The Bible said God's people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. You see, so many times people are doing things wrong. They're making mistakes. They're thinking wrong. They're believing wrong, talking wrong, doing wrong. But they're not doing it maliciously. They're not doing it defiantly against the word of God. They're doing it ignorantly. But you still have problems even though you're doing it ignorantly. How many know that? Even though you are doing it ignorantly, you still have problems because of it. But then on the other hand, there are times when people, they know to do better, and they're not doing what they know to do. You understand what I'm saying? So whether it's a matter that folk don't have light, or whether they do have light and they're not walking in the light that they have, still the changes come back with us. God, how many know God is not our problem? God is not our problem. Two, basically, two people that's our problem. The devil and the person you see in the mirror. That's, that's your biggest problems right there. You understand that, don't you? But God is not against you. He's for us. Amen. He's on our side. If God had wanted us cursed, if God had been looking for some technical things to hold against us, all he would have had to do is nothing. Nothing. Just leave us the way we were in our sins. We would have all been condemned. We would have all been judged. But no, God's for us. God's gone to tremendous lengths to receive us and to bless us, to make it possible so that he could legally bless us with all blessings. Jesus has come. He took our place. He died. He, he, he ever lives to make intercession for us. God is for us. But he must have some cooperation out of us. Amen. So we need to be knowledgeable of what that cooperation is, and then not just knowledgeable, we need to do. Amen. We need to practice. You know, uh, the Lord dealt with me some months back, and some of you that might have been with us uh, around here may remember, the Lord dealt with me and, and dealt with us uh, about the fact that one of the biggest problems we have in charismatic circles and, and in the church world as a whole, for that matter, is the, is the fact that so many folk are, are listeners of the Word and hearers of the Word and shouters about the Word and talkers about the Word and tape listeners and book readers, but not doers. And the Lord prompted me, and you know, it's just the truth. So many times people come to meetings to hear. They don't come to do. And there's two different mentalities entirely. 
People, people get books, they get tapes to hear. And when they get through hearing it, they think, well, that's great, and they want to hear something else. Isn't that right? I'll read something, they think, well, that's great, and then they want to read something else. But so many times, people, though they hear many, many things, they don't implement a fraction of them into their lifestyle. And that's where the problem is. In so many lives, whether it's yours or mine or whatever, so many times, even though we have heard things, we've heard answers, we've heard solutions, yet you must be a doer. You must practice it on a regular basis. It's not just the hearer that's blessed. That's why, you know, there are people, I mean, they, they've got all kind of tapes. They've been to all kind of meetings. They've heard tremendous amount of word, but they're still just as much in bondage with things as they've ever been. Why? See, it's not just hearing that sets you free. Did you hear me? It's not just hearing that sets you free. Somebody said, well, yeah, but the Bible said you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, you have to put uh, the whole context together there. Back up and get that other verse. Verse 31 of John 8. It says, he said, if you, well, just turn there. Turn. I think you should turn there. We're, we're real close by. John 8. Verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if, everybody say if, if, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He didn't say the truth would make you free just because you heard it. Did he? I said, did he? No, he didn't. Did, look back in verse 31. This is Jesus talking. The first thing he said to them is what? If. If. If you what? Continue in my word. Now, what does that mean? Living it. Amen. You hear it. You talk it. You think it. You practice it. It's a lifestyle. See, that's the thing that has evaded many people. They've just thought faith was a way to bail out of a problem. You get in a problem and you bail out with faith. Faith is a, a parachute for emergency situations. But the Bible didn't say the just shall parachute out by faith or bail out by faith. The just shall live by faith and walk by faith. It's a lifestyle he's trying to get across to. It's a way you think 24 hours a day. Amen. You know, we've endeavored to get that across here at Healing School when people come and they've got physical needs. So many times people don't really understand what faith is. They think faith is coming and hearing a message and maybe getting hands laid on them and making a good confession once in the morning and thinking on the problem the rest of the day. Did you hear me? That's not faith. The just shall what? Live by faith. Faith is something you do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's the way you think. It's the way you talk. Not just while you're in church, because you're not in church most of the time. You understand what I'm saying? I remember one time uh, uh, I was ministering with some people, and we were getting some folk, uh, some people, some people were getting some tremendous results and, and, and healings and good things were happening. And there were some other cases, some folk that weren't responding very well. 
And I began to pray about it. I said, well, now, Lord, you know what? Do we need to do something differently? Do we need to approach this differently? What, what do we need to do or make any changes? And the Lord spoke to my heart very specifically. I don't mean I heard a voice, but I knew inside me what he was saying to me. And he said to me, he said, well, while they're with you, they're at healing school. Those two hours during that session, some of them were coming regularly. While they're there with you, they've got their mind on what I said, and they're saying what I said, and they do pretty good while they're right there. But when they walk out of the door, those other 22 hours in the day, that's where they're falling. Because, see, they get their mind on the problem, they think the symptoms, they talk the symptoms, they meditate fears and problems. You see, faith is not just something you do in church. If you're going to be in faith and stay in faith, you've got to keep the answer on your mind all the time. And one of the easiest ways to keep it on your mind is to keep it in your mouth. Amen? If you keep it in your ears, you can keep it on your mind. If you keep it in your mouth, you can keep it on your ears. You understand what I'm saying? What I mean by that? If you keep it in your ears, if you keep hearing it all the time, it's going to stay on your mind. And one of the easiest ways to keep it in your ears is to keep it in your mouth. Just keep saying it all the time. And the more that distractions and thoughts come to bother you, and, and thoughts, you're not going to make it, this is getting worse, this is not working, whatever, uh, don't say it, don't think it, speak the word. Keep it in your mouth constantly. You understand? Faith is not just making a good confession in the morning or twice a day, and thinking on the problem the rest of the time. That is not faith. You've got to keep the answer before you. Remember God's prescription for his medicine? Over in Proverbs 4, verse 22 22 and 23, he said, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. What does that mean? Continue in my words. Stay in them. Stay in them. He said, for they are life to those that find them. I said, there's revelation there. What do you mean? Well, when I, when, I, when I look through my Bible and I locate the verse, I found it, haven't I? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Did you hear me? So that's where people have got. Well, when I write it down and I find it in the book, I found it. No, uh-uh. They are life to who? Those that find them. And health or medicine to all their flesh. To who? Those that find it. What constitutes finding it? When you locate it in the Bible? Uh-uh. Do you see where folk you beast it? How do you know when you find it? You don't have to ask. When you find it, you know. How many have ever got revelation from the Word of God? You heard something, maybe heard it preached, maybe read it. Ten times, twenty times, forty times. But that forty-first time you heard it, you went, Oh! That's what that... Oh, yeah! That's what that means! It's been saying that all the time. But look at that! That's what it is! Light. Isaiah agrees with that where he says, When your light breaks forth as the morning, then your health will spring forth speedily. The Bible said the entrance of his word gives light. But just because you hear it one time in a, in a sermon, that didn't mean that you found it. How, how can I be sure that I find it? He just got through telling you. Attend to his words. Incline your ear to his sayings. Keep, don't let them depart from your eyes. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Don't let them depart. Keep them in the midst of your heart. What does that mean? It means the same thing Romans, excuse me, John 8.31 said. Continue in my word. You just got to stay with it. 
You just got to keep hearing the same thing over and over again. Now, see, you hear it four or five times, and like many people, you hear it several times, and your head will say, I got that. You say, shut up, head. And keep hearing the same thing, because it's not with your head that you believe God. The Bible says, for with the heart man believes. Isn't that right? Do you see? Are you, are you with me? Do you see why sometimes folk, and this is confusing to people because they say, well, so-and-so, they were making a good confession, but it didn't seem like it worked for them. And your people say, well, I know, I know people that have stood on the Word and it didn't work for them. I know people that have believed God and it didn't work. No, you don't know anybody like that. You never met anybody like that? You never will. Somebody said, oh, yeah, I do. I know people that stood on the Word and just went down the tubes. No, you don't know anybody like that. Yeah, but they were making a good confession. That doesn't mean they're in faith. Do you understand? Well, I heard them making a good confession. That doesn't mean they were in faith. You don't know what they kept on their heart and mind night and day. Do you understand? The Bible said, Who knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? You can observe some things from the outward, external standpoint, but... uh, you don't really know another person's heart. I will tell you, though, two of the most outstanding characteristics of faith. If somebody really is operating in faith, you will see these two outstanding characteristics. Now, people can put them on, all right? But you will see these. Joy and peace. Amen. I don't care how many confessions people are making. If they're frantic and anxious and fearful and upset, they're not in faith. If they're depressed and down, they're not in faith. Joy and peace. The Bible said in Romans 15, Now the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. If you're in, that was Romans 15, if you're in believing, you're going to have joy and you're going to have peace. Can you say amen? Amen. I say this sometimes, you know, humorously, as you travel down life's road, in your faith mobile, there are two gauges you need to keep an eye on. It's your joy gauge and your peace gauge. If you see your joy and your peace gauge over on E, you better do something. Because if it stays on E very long, your faith mobile is going to sputter to a stop and leave you on the roadside of doubt and unbelief. But if your faith is strong and has good momentum, you'll see the, the joy gauge on full and the peace gauge on full. Amen. Amen. You understand what I'm saying, friend, that there are, a lot of times people have been confused about what faith really is. They really have, even in charismatic circles. You know, faith is not just making a good confession. That's part of faith. I mean, it helps you get in faith and stay in faith, but, but you know, it's more to it than that. It's keeping the Word on your mind and in your heart and in your mouth night and day. The just shall live by faith. Amen. If you've got money problems, you better get you some scriptures and I mean keep them in your mouth around the clock. Amen. It's not enough to just say, my God supplies my needs and then fret and worry about how you're going to do it the rest of the day. That's not faith. You understand? 
especially when you're bombarded with symptoms and stress and trials and tests, you, you've got to keep it in your mind. I mean, all day long. Thank you, Lord. You supply my need. Thank you, Lord. I call every bill paid. I call every need met in the name of Jesus. All of my needs are met. All of my needs are supplied. I mean, you say it sometimes hundreds of times, thousands of times through the day. Why? For God's benefit? No, for your benefit. To keep the right thing on your mind so that you continue in the Word. Same thing with healing. If you're bombarded with symptoms and feelings and pain and bad reports and this and that, you cannot just make a good confession once in a while and think about those things the rest of the time. There's no way you can stay in faith if you do that. Got to keep your mind on the right thing. And the easiest ways to keep your mind on the Word is to keep the Word in your mouth. Amen. All the time. Just constantly saying, thank God by his stripes I'm healed. He took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. He heals all my diseases. The Spirit of God lives in me and quickens me. Thank God I'm recovering. I'm getting better. I will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. He sent his word and healed me. You gotta say it constantly. Listen to, listen to the instructions for taking the medicine again. My son, means daughter too, attend. What does that mean? Pay attention. How many of you can't give your full attention to two things at one time? You can't pay attention to symptoms and bad doctor's report and thinking about dying and be paying attention to God's Word at the same time. Attend to my Word. Don't attend to the problem. Attend to my Word. Incline your ear to my saying. Don't be inclined to hear the wrong thing. Be inclined to hear what God said. When you, even when you hear things that are negative, you hear them, but you don't really hear them. Because your ear is not inclined to that. Your tuner is not tuned to that station. How many know what I'm saying? How many know that when you're, when you're playing your radio, you know, or listening to your radio, there's a lot of stuff coming in, but you're not hearing everything. Cause you just, you got it localized to one particular station. And that's all you're hearing. But the whole car is filled with waves, you know, waves, sound waves in the air, transmission waves from other stations, all kind of things. But you're not hearing that cause you're not tuned to that. Don't be tuned to the negative. Don't be tuned to the death band. Be tuned to the life band. Amen. Thank God. Praise God. We're talking about the abundant life. That's not in any of my notes, but I thought it'd be good. Go with me, if you would, to uh, Galatians 5 and also to 1 Corinthians 9. Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 9. And I want to talk to you further about why people don't enjoy the abundant life. Now, we've already been talking about that, but, but let's, uh, let's look specifically. In Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 9. Now, in Galatians 5, the Word of God here gives us a list of the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 22. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Now, the last one he mentions, temperance, is the one I want to talk to you a little bit about. Because uh, this is one great reason why folk are not enjoying the abundant life. is because of a lack of temperance. Now, I think you'll begin to see this more as we, as we go. But in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about temperance. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. And uh, here in the uh, 25th verse, he mentions 
temperance. 1 Corinthians 9.25 He says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Incorruptible, rather. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, we had said to you yesterday, and I'm going to elaborate on that right now, that the reason why so many times people are not enjoying the life that is abundant, the, the life that is more than enough, is because they have more than enough of some things in their life they shouldn't have, and not enough of some other things that they should have. And imbalances in people's lives and lifestyle oftentimes robs them of the superabundant life. There has to be a balance. And that's where temperance comes in. Temperance literally means uh, power or strong, and it has to do with being strong to control yourself. You know, when people yield to temptations, that's a sign of spiritual weakness. Did you know that? Because if they were stronger spiritually, they wouldn't have given in. Amen. That's just the truth. Uh, a real test of spiritual strength is how much temptation you can withstand without giving in. The Bible said if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If when things you feel a little pressure and you give in immediately, that means you're weak, very weak, spiritually. But if the stronger the pull and the greater something comes against you, you just keep holding your stand and said, no, 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 I'm not giving in. That shows strength, doesn't it? And uh, temperance means that you are strong in controlling yourself. Now, when I say self, I mean your flesh. Your own flesh and your own uh, nature that uh, that's in your flesh that wants to do wrong. How many realize that even though you're born saved, born again and saved, that uh, your flesh is still the same as it was before you got saved? I mean, you know, the day after you get born again, your spirit's a new creature in Christ, but you still basically got the mind and body of a sinner. Do you know that? It's true. And so begins the arduous task of uh, renewing the mind and keeping, putting and keeping the body under. How many know the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do something with our mind and we're supposed to do something with our body? Amen. And this is where temperance comes in. Self-control. Now, Christians are to live a balanced life. In, in, in all areas, and a temperate life, and, and do things in moderation again and again. Now, there are some things that I mean any of it's too much. You know, it's not a matter of being uh, uh, doing it in moderation, it's just a matter of eliminating it. <laughs> you understand? Even a little bit of some things is too much. You understand that? I mean, a little bit of drunkenness is too much. A little bit of drug abuse is too much. 
a little bit of immorality and fornication is too much. There are no amounts of certain things that the Bible very clearly tells us is wrong and sin. But there are many other things, many other things that they in and of themselves are not sin. But you could certainly get into excesses and extremes. Isn't that right? And uh, I'm, I'm doing my best to express some of these things, and it's quite a big subject. And our time is limited. I've already preached you three sermons already before I got to this. <laughs> but uh, it seems that generation after generation after generation, people get into religiosity and rules and regulations don't do this, don't do that, and do this, and do this, and this is a sin, and that's a sin, and this is a sin, you can't do this, can't do that. And they, they want rules and they want regulations because that's easier than being led day to day in every situation. Let me give you a prime example of this. Brother Hagin said during much of his ministry, he was out on the field going to churches and what have you, and he had certain fast days. He would fast on, I believe it was Tuesday and Thursday, I think it was. He'd fast those two days in the week. That was just his, you know, regimen that he followed. He did it for years. And I mean, that's good. I mean, some folk never fast. I mean, you know, that's good. But after several years of that, he said one time he was in prayer and the Lord spoke to him and told him this completely surprised him. But he said, the Lord told him, he said, it would please me better if instead of just having fast days that you would live a fasted life. And he said, well, now, Lord, I, what, you know, what is that? Fasted life. Well, he, he went on and was more clear with him. He said, well, instead of, you know, on certain days not eating anything, and in other days, eat all you want. Just curb and control your appetite and don't ever let yourself just have everything you want any of the time. But now see, that's harder. I said, that's really harder. Exercising temperance and self-control is harder than just completely abstaining. Why? Because you got to be led. I said, because you got to be led. Got to be led. I'll just touch on something here real briefly. Man, I wish I had another day. Just on this. You know, Brother Hagin wrote the book, Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. And, and the Lord appeared to him and talked to him about some things. And among it, uh, he dealt with him and, and discussed some things about uh, dancing and clapping and some other things. And boy, you never heard so much flack and folks squealing. I'll tell you exactly. I'll put this in my own words, okay? And, just, and try to explain some things that I, I believe people chafed over. And that is this. So in the charismatic circles, so many people came out of a diversity of backgrounds. Many of them came out of very staid and stoical and, and, and you know, dead <laughs> uh, backgrounds. I mean, 
they, they never lifted their hands. They never praised God. A lot of them weren't even saved, you know. And so when they got saved and got filled with the Holy Ghost and, and came over into the uh, uh, Pentecostal or charismatic circles, I mean, they're, they're lifting their hands. They're dancing. They're clapping their hands. And the truth be known, the, a lot of it was in the flesh. But folk are babies. And I, and I mean, the Lord is looking at the whole thing and the Lord in his, in his heart, he, he's thinking, well, you know, boy, this is so far ahead of where they were until just great, good, good. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of what they're doing is in the flesh, but at least they are doing something. I mean, you know, as opposed to nothing. And they're babies. And so, you know, when you're babies, you can do some things. It's inappropriate and ill-timed and it's overlooked. How many old babies do things that are inappropriate and ill-timed? <laughs> but it's overlooked. But now, it's been several years now, hasn't it? Several years now since the beginnings of what we would call the charismatic move stirred. And now the Lord is saying, all right now, all right. It's time to learn to be led. You don't just dance causes a certain beat to the music. You understand? And you don't just clap because you like something and don't know what else to do. But you learn to be led. And people, but that, that's what bothered folk. Because see, that's, that's more challenging. Used to, they could just wait on a certain song. When that certain song played, oh, okay, and you dance now. Or every time somebody did something, you just clap. But see, it takes more spirituality and sensitivity to be led to see what's appropriate for when. And to not be moved by just what everybody else is doing or by a certain song or a melody or situation, but to be led and know in your heart when is right for what. What the Lord is saying is, come on, grow up. Let's be sensitive. Don't just be, you know, doing things mechanically. And when people were told to get weaned off of some of those things, then you got a big cry on your hands and a big fuss out of all the babies. Amen. I don't know how come me to get into all that, but that's that's all right. But you see, our whole life is to be lived that way. Amen. Well, we don't live by rules and regulations. The, the Bible says, if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you be what? Led of the Spirit. You see, if you're led of the Spirit, you don't need a law. And so many things that people try to say, well, this is a sin, or that's a sin, or is this a sin, or is that a sin? And so many things, if people would get away from the legalities of things and check their heart. Check your heart. What, what, what do you got in your heart about it? Follow your heart. Know what somebody else does or doesn't do. And so many times people, as a minister, I have people ask me questions about things all the time and they want a, a legalistic answer. Well, it's always this way. Or it's always that way. Or this is wrong. This is right. They want it all cut and dried, you see. And if somebody could write a book that gave an answer for every situation in every, every, every area, I don't care if it was 50 volumes big, everybody would want to say it. So you just look it up and find the answer and do it. You got your answer. But that's not the way God wants us to live. 
We're not to live by a, a set of rules and do's and don'ts. We're to live in intimate communion with God so that God is able to influence us through our own spirit so that we know what to do in each situation. And see, people are different. Situations are different. You have to be careful about making rigid rules. So many times, even though something looks the same on the outside, there are different internal factors and God's going to lead you differently. And just because you handled this situation this way last time doesn't mean God's going to lead you that way this time. Do you understand what we're talking about? And the reason many times that people are not experiencing the superabundant life is because they get into extremes and excesses. Too much of this, not enough of this. Where if you are let the Spirit of God lead you, He will lead you in the properly balanced life and He'll lead you right into wholeness and superabundant life. See, some things people need less of in their life and some things people need more of. Amen. And everybody's life is different. Everybody's situation is different. You're not supposed to try to push your convictions off on somebody else. Just because you needed a lot of this in one area doesn't mean somebody else needs a lot of it. They might need a little. How many know what I'm talking about? Let me give you, I, I just wrote down some things. I shared some, some things with some of you a couple of days ago. But real briefly, I'm not, I'm not planning on keeping you much longer. But let me share some of these things with you that I believe are, will just kind of stimulate our thinking toward a balanced lifestyle. How many believe this could be a key to living the abundant life? Avoiding excesses and extremes. The reason people's health has broken down. Or the reason why people, even if it didn't cause a problem, the reason why people have been hindered in receiving their healing have often been imbalances. Too much of this, not enough of this. Too little of this and too much of this. Listen to some things we need to watch about being balanced in. You know, we need to be serious. The Bible exhorts us to soberness and seriousness. But we don't need to be sad and sour. I mean, what I mean by that? See, I mean, you can be too frivolous. Just joke, joke, joke all the time. That's all you do. Or you can be too straight-laced and straight-faced. Never laugh, never have any fun. I don't know what I'm talking about. You can get in the ditch on either side, can't you? And sometimes the folk that are so aggravated about people that are, you know, so full of jokes, sometimes they're the ones that need to lighten up. And sometimes the ones that are always fussing about so-and-so so tight, they're the ones that need to sober up. You know, you, you, there, there needs to be a balance. Sober and serious, but not sad and sour. <laughs> I mean, what I'm talking about. Also, you need to be spiritual, but not spacey. <laughs> I mean, what I mean by that. Some folk think that to be spiritual means that you kind of stay in a trance all the time. You know, you're not really in touch with this world. 
You try to talk with people and they roll their eyes back in their head and speak in tongues? Spaced. That's not being spiritual. Be spiritual, but don't be spacey. I don't know what I'm talking about. See, some people are imbalanced in their life in these areas. They think, well, you got you got to pray and you got to fast and you got to be serious, and, you know. And they get too intense, and it can affect them physically. And, it's, and on the other hand, people can just be too loose and too frivolous and tell too many jokes. And yet, you, so many times, people's way of dealing with these things is just cut it all out. Oh, well, I got a problem with joking. I can't tell any jokes anymore. I can't, I can't do that. I can't laugh anymore. I gotta be serious. <laughs> well, no. Temperance. Moderation. Be led. Perceive when it's inappropriate. Perceive when it's too much. And curtail and make the adjustment. Can you say amen? We ought to be diligent. But we ought not to be stressed out. You know what I mean? Some folks, their idea of diligent is just staying stressed out all the time. Oh, you got to be diligent. And I mean, they're stressed, their eyes are bloodshot, and their hair is frayed. Got to be diligent. Got to be diligent. Yeah, you gotta be diligent. And it's time to, to give it your all and work hard, but then it's also time to rest and relax. Amen. Amen. Do you know that people are not going to get any medals for burning themselves out in the work of the Lord? Yeah. They're going to get reproved for disobeying God. Not taking time to wait on the Lord. Not obeying what He told them to do in their spirit. There's not going to be any medals handed out for people that burn themselves out in the ministry. Because to burn yourself out, you have to be disobedient. And you have to ignore what God's dealing with your spirit about. God is not a cruel taskmaster that drives His people in the ground until they fall apart. God doesn't do that. People drive their self beyond God's leadings and actually in contradiction to God's leadings. Do you understand? Be diligent. Work hard. But don't be stressed out. And don't be ignorant and ignoring God's leadings. Time to work and there's time to rest. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. You know, we ought to be open and real. But we ought not to be crude and uncouth. I know what I mean by that. Some folks say, well, I'm just real. I'm just genuine. Well, yeah, you're rude. Uncouth. How many know there's a balance here? Be real. Be open, be genuine. That don't mean you spill your guts and tell your life story and tell everything you think and everything you feel. That's being rude and uncouth. Impolite. What you say 
Be real and genuine with it. But you don't say everything you think. And you don't say everything you know. That's not being real. It's being carnal. Being babyish. The Bible said the fool, in one translation, the fool has one determined purpose. That he may show his opinion. (laughs) You know, the Bible says be quick to hear. Slow to wrath and slow to speak. Amen. So many people practice that in reverse. Don't they? They're quick to get mad. They're quick to talk. Slow to listen. So many times, even when people are listening, they're not really listening. They're loading their guns behind their back of things to say, shoot towards you as soon as you get quiet. Really good listeners are not that plentiful. People that really know how to listen. Be real, be genuine, be sincere, be open, but don't be rude and uncouth and bare your soul to everybody that comes by. Not everybody's interested, for one thing. (laughs) Contrary to what you might think, everybody's not just falling down over each other wanting to find out what you think about everything. Be, Be perceptive enough to realize when people don't really care to hear what you have to say. <laughs> and just be quiet. My, my job involves communication constantly. And, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's no need talking if someone's not listening. Did you know that? I mean, you're wasting your effort and your time. And so uh, I, I'm constantly in a position where I'm having to try to discern if people are hearing, and not just if they're hearing, but if they're understanding. Not, not so much that it's a problem with them if they don't understand. Maybe I'm not saying it right. Maybe I'm not communicating it in the best way. And so I, that, I, I constantly am exercising myself in that area because I have opportunity to speak quite a bit. And so because I'm that way, if I'm talking with somebody one-on-one, I'm exercising the same thing I'm trying to discern you know are they hearing are they understanding and if I can discern, if I discern people are not paying any attention to me I just quit talking sometimes after a few seconds they say well what, what were you saying you know well there's no need to talk on but some people bless their heart they will talk I've seen people talk when their audience was asleep I mean the per- I'm talking about the person they were talking to I mean they were on the phone with somebody else they just keep talking they're asleep and they just keep talking 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 Moving right along. You know, we ought to be proper. We ought, we ought to do things properly. How many think you ought to do things properly? Find out the right way to do it. And do it properly. But don't be persnickety. <laughs> I don't know what persnickety is. That's a real word. I, I looked it up in the dictionary a while ago. Persnickety. It means that you're just... Uh, you, you make an unnecessarily big deal out of little small, trivial details. Persnickety. Do things right. Do things properly, but don't be persnickety. Right? Now, now, do you think I've digressed from my subject? Does this have anything to do with your, your overall condition? Including your physical well-being? I know, I know of people. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of uh, two or three ladies right now. This happens with men too, don't misunderstand me, but this just came to mind. Uh, that, that, 
they, they, they want things done just a, a certain way. And I mean, that's all right to do things properly, but, but I mean, you can go overboard. And it's not just a matter that they want it done right. I mean, they want it done this way. I mean, you have to get out your, your magnifying glass to make sure that it's this way. And the biggest problem is that that the, the, the concern that it may not get done that way bothers them and wears on them constantly. That affects them. That affects their health. Anyway. I'm trying to get through here. My time's getting away from it. You know, we ought to be determined, but we ought not to be deluded. I'm going to know what I mean by that. I guess not. Determined. I mean, determined means you're set on it. You've made up your mind. You've been on it. And that's good. As long as you're going the right way. But don't be deluded. Sometimes people are determined and they won't listen to anybody. They're determined and they're closed minded. You know what I'm saying? Even though you're determined, keep an open mind. Because you may need to make some adjustments. Isn't that right? Also, we need to be zealous. But we don't need to be foolish. Isn't that right? Be zealous, but don't be foolish. You know, we need to be bold, but we don't need to be belligerent. I know mean, that's true. Some folk that are bold, they think they're just plain rude, pushy, belligerent, arrogant. That's not the God kind of boldness. So there's got to be a balance here. Got to realize the, the, the true things and the real things. We need to be trusting, cooperative, and trusting with people, but we don't need to be gullible and naive. So, so I thought you were a brother. Thought you were a sister. Well, if you question them about a certain deal. If I start if I start sensing anybody trying to pressure me because they're a Christian or we're Christians or Anything like that. That immediately throws up a red signal to me. You understand? If you're in faith, you don't put pressure on people. And we ought to be trusting and ready to believe the best about everybody. But we ought not to be gullible and naive. And it's alright to allow people to demonstrate some things before you just jump on the bandwagon. Amen. Don't let people pressure you into this or that because they're a Christian and you're a Christian and, and what have you. Be trusting, but don't be gullible. There's a lot of things we could say. I won't take up all your time about it. But you know, we need to live a balanced life. We need to live a disciplined life. Spiritual life. But we don't need to live a masochistic Stressed out life. People do go to extremes, don't they? And what happens if you've got too much of one thing in your life? What does that mean? You've got too little of something else. Isn't that right? And so oftentimes that imbalance is going to affect you. Spiritually, mentally, solically, physically, financially. 
If we're going to have the super abundant life, then we're going to have to have the abundance of good things that the Lord wants in our life. And we're going to have to have the balances of things. So many things could be said along this line, but I just wanted to try to uh, to get the spirit of what we're talking across to you. The gist of, of, of these things. And, and as we're talking, I trust the Spirit of God stirs you. Amen? Maybe there's something you need less of in your life. You know? Maybe less TV and more Bible. Maybe less intense study and more relaxation and waiting on God. Do you understand? Definitely less griping and more thanksgiving. Definitely less selfishness and more giving and love. Amen. But if we want the super abundant life, Jesus came that we might have it, but we have to get our balances and our priorities and our conversation in line with His Word too. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.